whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Life podcast. Here, we are diving deep into all facets of ballet dance world that cannot be found in a workshop or an audience seat. Every week, you will find new, honest, thought-provoking, inspiring, and educational conversation with top leading professionals of our industry. I'm your host, Jana Komornitska, and I'm honored that you are part of our dance tribe. This episode is brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, online platform where you can get access to all my teaching materials at once. Hundreds of technique drills, multiple choreographies, themed intensives, full-length courses, everything you can think about. Whether 20 minutes or few hours for practice, you will find a program that will fit not only your schedule, but your mood as well. First seven days are free, so check it out at yanadansclub.com, link in the show notes. Hello everyone, welcome to the Baladins Live podcast. We are continuing our special series of student voices and today I'm very happy to share my conversation with Jacinda, also known as Alia Dalal. And she is a perfect example of what I was talking and I was introducing this special series that student voices actually applies to all of us, no matter how many years we uh, practice belly dance, no matter is it our profession or not, is belly dance one of the source of our income or is it a side gig or just a fun hobby, we all remain being students. And Jacinda is a perfect example of it because while she continues her belly dance journey, she also very actively is involved in professional belly dance world and she is a performer, instructor, as well as researcher. And in our conversation with her, we dived in so many different topics, from healing power of belly dance, especially to overcome some eating disorders or the influence of uh, different emotional traumas, to the stereotypes and the question of uh, racism and how it influences actual dance career for some performers. Along with ballet dance, Jacinda is also a certified group fitness and Pilates instructor and she holds a PhD and specializes in health research. Her work focuses on the impact of early life stress and adversity on an individual's physical and mental health across the lifespan. This is very deep and thought-provoking conversation, which I hope will also inspire and encourage you to look forward and to use the full potential of dance as a healing tool for all of us, because at different levels we all struggle with some kind of emotional blocks, emotional traumas, or emotional struggles. So, I hope you will enjoy this conversation, and afterwards don't forget to let me know. Hello, dear Jacinda. It's so nice to connect with you via screen, not only seeing your videos on a regular basis. I'm a big fan of yours and your training and your performances, but also connect with you like this. And thank you for, for joining me today. 
Hi, dear Yana. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. I'm, I feel like I already know both you and Pedro because I see you a lot and have you talked to us through the club. But it's so nice to finally connect. And thank you so much for this opportunity to share my story. I'm a big fan of the Belly Dance Life podcast, and I've listened to almost all of the episodes. So it's such a dream come true to be a little part of this project. Yeah, that project too, of course. And uh, to start our conversation, I actually would like to ask you, can you tell a little bit about yourself? Like where are you from? Uh, which, what is your I don't know, occupation, main activity, you know, like not necessarily even related to dance, but in general, like what are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. So at this point, I'm a full-time dance performer and instructor based in Washington, D.C., so mostly oriental dance. Um, and I also perform Polynesian dance, and I teach Pilates and fitness. Um, and so my journey actually to dance it's so funny it starts way before um, i started dance itself so dance didn't enter my life until um, 13 years ago in university so i'm originally i was born in china and when when i was little i immigrated with my parents to japan and then the united states and growing up as an immigrant in the united states this country we were held to this kind of very strict um, path, we had to become doctors and be mm -hmm. successful. That's the immigrant dream. And uh, so I didn't do any dance growing up because I was expected to study at all times. But I was sort of a rebel and I was very active. I like to do a lot of sports. Um, but my main way of uh, rebelling was through modeling. And back when I was doing it, the industry was a lot more strict than it is now. They had a much more narrow definition of what um, is considered marketable, what kind of body is considered marketable. It was a lot more thin, very thin ideal. So unfortunately, that led me to develop a restrictive eating disorder when I was young. Um, it carried me throughout high school, into college. And then I went to college, um, I went to University of Pennsylvania, and on campus, there is an archaeology museum. And during the first year student orientation, they had the school troupe perform at the ancient Egyptian civilization uh, display. Wow. And it was so amazing. Um, at the time, though, so it was American tribal style, we called it at the time. I think it's now called improvisational um, tribal style or something different. But um, I didn't know the difference back then. I just thought it was belly dance. But they had um, lots of women just so free. They're loving it. They're having fun. They're dancing. You know, they're happy with their bodies. And they also had live drumming, which all of that together made it so magical and intoxicating. And I looked at it and I just said, okay, that's what I want to do. I need to do this. Mm -hmm. So I joined the troupe at school. And I started uh, studying with them, training with them. We brought in like local teachers and uh, taught each other and put on productions. And I just loved it. And what that helped me do was the dance, participating in dance itself helped me to overcome my body image problems and eating disorder because it taught me to love my body for not what it for not for what it looks like, but for what it can do. And what mm. it can do is create art that brings a lot of joy. So that felt very liberating. Um, so, so I kept that up all throughout school. And then 
I graduated, I was in the business program, so I went to work for corporate, but I was also always interested in health and wellness and nutrition. So I went to graduate school um, do, to do a doctorate in uh, nutritional sciences and human development. And that's when I uh, met a wonderful teacher based in State College, Pennsylvania, named Shannon Bishop. And she was the one who really introduced me to this dance being more than just the dance itself. And she introduced me to the culture, the language, the history, taught me about classical music. And so the more I got a taste of it, the more I wanted. So I became more and more hooked and obsessed. Um, and, you know, my graduate uh, studies research, even though I didn't end up going into research as a full-time career, I, uh, my research was in childhood sexual abuse and its impact on women's health, physical and mental uh, across the lifespan. So it really helped to inform where I'm approaching this dance or until dance from, and I became really fascinated with the potential for this dance to heal um, for women with trauma, both sexual trauma and uh, also trauma from eating disorders, which are linked, very closely linked. Mm -hmm. And um, so the, that's what I really wanted to focus on when I was nearing graduation. And as I was nearing graduation, I um, was facing the decision of, okay, do I go into the tenure track professor route as I was trained and everyone is telling me to do, or do I do something else? And at that time, Dance has just become so much part of my life that um, anything else just felt wrong. Mm -hmm. So I decided to take the plunge um, because I knew I'd regret it if I didn't um, have the chance to fully devote myself to this dance and have a very supportive husband. Uh, we moved together to D.C. and where I could pursue this full time. Um, I joined a really wonderful community of dance professional dancers, and there are a lot of really wonderful teachers here, like uh, Artemis Morat and Yasmin Henkesh, both of whom have been on the podcast. Um, and I started gigging at um, private events, venues, um, and teaching dance as well as Pilates and uh, fitness. And I also started participating in some uh, competitions. And I had the dream of getting a contract and to perform in the Middle East. So I was working towards all that. The business was starting to build, and then the pandemic hit. Mm. And so everything came to a halt. Um, and that was a time when it was difficult. I questioned whether I made the right decision to go into this dance, but luckily I had a very uh, good support network and kept, encouraged me to keep going and encouraged me to devote this time to really hone in on my training, mm -hmm. which I did a lot with the Yana Dance Club, and I'm happy to talk more about <laughs> too. And so I really appreciated this chance to develop myself as an artist and as an athlete and, and as a dance scholar. And then now things are starting to open up a little bit. I'm really glad to have had this um, opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing about 2020, the pandemic that was impacting my life and my dance was, so during the pandemic, there were a lot of a rise in race motivated violence against Asian Americans in the United States. So Asians were being blamed for starting the pandemic and they were just being attacked out on the streets and sometimes even killed. Um, and all of this was happening against the backdrop of the Black Lives Matter movement in the United States, where we became much more aware as a society of the deep entrenched systemic racism that was still in this country. And up until then, I had really just 
denied and ignored my identity as an Asian American woman, because as an immigrant, um, one of the most important uh, commandment was to assimilate. So I had to deny all of my past and try to do that. But these events made it impossible for me to deny it. And I was trying to reconcile my identity as an Asian American woman as well as as an oriental dancer which to me mm. felt contradictory but in doing so i was able to find an overlap um wherein i think the oriental dance serves as a uh, antidote to a lot of these hypersexualization of asian women objectification of asian women because as east asians so china japan korea were our culture is heavily influenced by the Confucian philosophy, which emphasizes um, patriarchy, hierarchy, as well as um, women being subservient, obedient um, objects, and were properties, and were expected to be like properties of men all our whole life. And we don't have an archetype or a role model for how to be a strong woman who owns her own sexuality, her own sensuality, her own body. And so Oriental, here comes Oriental dance then, mm -hmm. and it's from a completely different culture, and it gives that model. I mean, you think about the um, character of the Malema, the Bellady woman. She's a boss lady. She's beautiful and sexy and glamorous, but she's also strong, and you don't mess with her. Mm -hmm. So I love this, and I felt like, to me, it was so empowering and liberating to have this um alternative and i think that's part of the reason why i'm realized i was drawn to this dance and also another reason you know we've been seeing a lot of popularity in this dance in asia and i can't help but wonder if that's part of the reason why and um so going forward you know i want to put all of this together and um, be able to use this dance in some way to support women who've had sexual trauma and also had eating disorders um, as well as you know cultural trauma to be able to heal and be powerful and own themselves and their confidence through this dance Ah, that's so interesting. You brought together so many different points that I just want to dive in more. But one of the things that you like just mentioned about um, different cultures, different countries, and one of the things that we're coming up again and again in the interviews and conversations with dance teachers who go and um, travel to Asia and teach there. And indeed, there are so many, like, it's balladins are so popular there. There's like all this festivals but especially intensives and it's like one two weeks five six hours per day and then people stay for classes and uh, like private classes on top and the teachers are like uh, squeezed sponges afterwards it's just because there's so much energy and especially with the work ethic that students really like they they just practice and practice and practice and practice like it's very uh, challenging for teacher, but one of the comments was coming back again and again when the thought that uh, one of the main barrier or difficulty challenge for uh, students from Asia and specific countries, like more than others, is to break through emotions in dance. So technique they will practice and because of their dedication and work, they will nail it completely. But there is still that block of showing emotions. And I think it's partially related to what you were telling, like this mentality of uh, um, not feeling... I guess, strong enough to be free in expressing your emotions. It's just not been part of 
the whole countries and cultures mentalities. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting you mentioned that because that's something I've struggled myself for a long, long time. Um, you know, a lot of it, like you say, it's culture, um, like the Confucian culture emphasizes um, stability, stoicism, and even in traditional Chinese medicine, the idea of any kind of extreme emotion is considered maladaptive, extreme good or extreme bad. Mm -hmm. So we were trained to be stable. And I think that's a really difficult barrier to overcome. Um, and also, I do think um, a lot of this dance is linked to sensuality and sexuality and um, in a good way. And that's really difficult. I'm, I, you know, even speaking for myself, for me growing up, that was also always taught to um, as a negative thing. And um, so being able to embrace ourselves as women, as ourselves as physical being, erotic being, that's a lifelong journey, I think. And mm. absolutely, that resonates with me and I understand. And that's part of the reason why I really want to bring this aspect to Asia, ultimately, in the future. My dream is to be able to um, get good enough in my Chinese and Japanese to be able to teach in the language and to be able to convey this beautiful aspect of the dance, um, because I don't think they have as much access to this kind of information over there as we do here. Mm. So. But speaking also about emotions and expressing emotions, this is something that is not just difficult for dancers in China. It's actually like the world dance issue and all of us or many of us struggle with like, oh, how not to be afraid to express emotions, how to find this emotionality, which is not uh, an acting, but being truly expressing emotions in dance. Uh, for you, how did you overcome it? Because you had to work on it, not only for dance and for yourself, but especially if you are a full-time dancer and performing, people are hiring dancers for emotions. Yeah. Uh, many people don't understand anything about technique. They just want to have nice experience and for them to receive emotions from you. So you do need to express emotions. Uh, how did in your personal dance journey, how did you work and how did you overcome this barrier? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I had to learn that I can't compartmentalize. I can't have, if I want to have emotions in dance, I have to have emotions in life. Mm -hmm. So um, throughout graduate school, I actually did a lot of um, therapy, which was highly recommend it to anybody. I'm just helping to go through, you know, childhood, growing up issues that block my emotional expression. And once I was able to liberate that, um, then I was able to start feeling emotions when I dance. And part of that is I think we're afraid to, most of us afraid to express and feel emotions because we're afraid that it will overtake us. And it, we can't you know, have control, go crazy. But that's part of what um, healing therapy, that's what helps. And you realize that you're bigger than your emotions. And um, so it was a slow process. It took many, many years. It's definitely not fast. And once I was able to get in touch with my emotions, both good and bad, or sorry, there's not, I would not say there's a good mm -hmm. or bad emotions. Every emotion is okay. There's negative, positive valences. Then I was able to, um, for example, you know, work with classical music and 
look at the lyrics, really feel it and feel the emotions that that music would invoke in me. In fact, sometimes I'd let myself even even just cry, um, really feel it so much that I cry when I dancing and um, dancing to the lyrics. So that really, really was a interesting, difficult journey, but also um, so rewarding. And in terms of performing, so sometimes uh, sometimes it is difficult. Like, for example, if I'm feeling not so safe, um, emotionally safe in a performing environment, like, um, oh, maybe they're judging me or things like that, um, then I think about the idea of having a character, which we've worked on this in the club as well. Um, having a character, someone who isn't, who's removed from me, who's free to express her emotions. She's not afraid of judgment. And uh, that also gives me a little layer of protection that I can still express emotion. And this is what I use for performance. But when I dance for myself, or when I'm choreographing, then I just let myself loose and give myself permission to feel mm. all the good and the bad and just know that it'll all pass and I'll be okay at the end. It's interesting how you put it as a layer of protection. It also can be viewed as a portal to freeing ourselves because dance is definitely a tool also of healing. Like we not only heal to dance better, but we... Uh, heal through dancing too. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And this is what I love about this dance and the culture that it comes from is has so many um, archetypes of strong women. You know, oftentimes I'll think, okay, I'm the belly woman. I'm sexy and I'm unapologetic and I'm strong and I'm not afraid I, to show my emotions and I'm going to show everybody my emotions and they're going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a cool thing about the ballet dance world or oriental world, dance world that we have so many varieties. Like people think, oh, ballet dance is just, I don't know, Shakira movement or like Pippi's <laughs> costume and some yes. dooms and tags. But in fact, once you get involved in ballet dance world, you keep discovering more and more every day and more things to try, to experiment, to literally um, encourage or challenge yourself to expand in different different not only technique or movement of physicality but also emotionally expand and uh, it's definitely also part of the healing journey for so many of us we are all dealing with something in this sense and some helps us to dance some blocks us from dancing fully and sometimes dance highlights those spots like oh that's kind of what we need to dive in and work on so it's interesting like this interconnectedness of things <laughs> exactly yes absolutely I also want to ask you, I'm very curious about your training because not only just doing dance for like, you know, fun or uh, like as a hobby, but also you transitioned, uh, you started, you were excited about ballet, but then you transitioned and decided to become a full-time dancer. So how is your personal training going on? And I know there are ups and downs and we all go through different uh, stages of life but when you say you are happy with yourself and you're in the flow of like life and, and things going on how uh, like which elements does your dance training consist of and how does it usually typically looks like yeah definitely I'm so happy to talk about this because the Yana Dance Club has be 
a very big part of my training. Um, so one of the biggest difference in my training and dance as I transitioned from doing as a hobby to a professional level is this having deliberate practice. So deliberately focusing on one specific thing and focusing on honing it and instead of just putting on music and dancing. So what my training usually, um, I really set this up during the pandemic, um, my routine, is I would have usually have a warm up, um, and then I do the Yana Dance Club, the technique drills, and whatever intensive training that we're doing. And my area of focus kind of followed the intensives, which was so helpful because it helped me to decide what to work on. Um, and then I also include some of my personal technique uh, drills that I need to do. Like I'm always needing to work on shimmies, so I always do that. And um, I also added some cross training, like um, strength training, a little bit of cardio, aerobics, um, flexibility, stretching. And I also added ballet into my training because I wasn't classically trained. And so I wanted to fill in some gaps in my knowledge. And aside from that, um, I also do Polynesian dance. So some of that helps to cross over in dance as well. Mm -hmm. And in terms, and also, um, you know, the seat, uh, not just a physical training, but actually working with music theory, working with lyrics, working with researching the songs that has also entered into my practice, my training, when I went into full time. So but overall, um, I'm trying to still keep that up uh, now that things are opening up, but it's a little bit more difficult. Things have become a little bit more truncated, but I still try to keep those elements to have the you know, the dance part and the strength and aerobics and stretching. Mm -hmm, that's cool. And how big part of your training is training on your own, like by yourself? And how much maybe with some other like instructor, trainer, or like maybe one-on-one -on -one or I don't know, group classes that you need to show up, you know, like I'm curious about this aspect of motivation to get up and dance. <laughs> Much of it is on my own, especially with the pandemic. Um, during the pandemic, though, I was able to take some online classes with some wonderful teachers. All of them have been on the podcast, like oh, us, cool. Lebanese Simon, um, Ayad Malayev, and Camelia of Lebanon. And um, I would say, though, that's a smaller part of my training. I would take lessons with them, and then I would afterwards processed information I like maybe rewrite the notes and then process my own um, practice the drills and then I'd add those whatever I learned from them into my um, regular training technique drills so much mm. but much of it is on my own mm. on your own and I assume also at your home yes yes I'm lucky to have a space <laughs> how did you organize your dance space at home can you describe it which sure. elements does it have for you that are special for you specific? So um, the, we live in apartments and part of how we made this work is we don't have a lot of furniture at all. <laughs> so I have an open space um, in a corner and big mirrors. Um, and I don't put a lot on the wall. but So I just keep the space open. I put my computer in front to train. I do my recordings and my class online classes here as well. So it's an all-purpose room. And one of the things I recently started adding were some decorations and mm. um, some candles to just set the mood because it was starting to get 
lonely and boring to train at home all the time. So I wanted to change things up. So that helped with the motivation. Oh, cool. But it's uh, it's interesting how sometimes by adding like little small elements, we literally can improve our motivation to dance because we get excited. It's like almost like getting a new outfit, like costume or training outfit. It's the same works with space, like putting a couple of candles to create that mood already. Like, oh, I kind of feel I want to go and dance. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes. Um, continuing the topic of uh, training, uh, I know you already mentioned about the this club, and I'm very happy to hear uh, that your experience is nice there and, and it's helpful for you. But I'm curious, what was the reason why you decided to join Yana Dance Club? Yeah, the reason, so I've been following you on um, social media for a long time before I joined, and I really liked the... The free classes, the free contents that you put out, and um, I liked the way you teach and how it was systematic, and you had unique things. And when you launched this, it's like, okay, this is this is what I really want, and I wanted a way. So when I came here to DC and went into full time dancing, I knew that most of the in person classes were done in the evenings, and so teach both with teaching fitness and also gigging, it was hard for me to make those classes. So I wanted something that gave me flexibility and that I could um, do anywhere whenever I needed. And, um, I, but I also liked that the club had a structure and it felt like it wasn't just like a database of a bunch of videos that you just go on your own. It actually felt it was very guided and it felt like I said, you know, earlier that I feel like I've known you for a long time because you know you really take us through it's a lot of the personal touch. And it felt like I had accountability even though, you know, I'm not doing this in person. So that's the main reason I joined and have been staying with it ever since you started. Mm. And I'm curious, which is the your favorite piece of content? Uh, you mentioned that you're using drills, but I don't know, maybe you have favorite drills or intensive or maybe some other piece of content that kind of feels to you that, oh, that's, that's I mean, basically is your favorite, let's put it this way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say so the intensive on the entrance song, Mergence, that has been oh. my favorite um, because what that helped me to do, it taught me how to really hone a choreography, the idea of deliberate practice. And when I was doing it, you know, I was filming and then I was looking at the video and then, okay, I don't like this little thing. I'm going to go back and change it. And I kept repeating this process like you told us to do. And I, I kind of knew that that's what you were supposed to do, but I hadn't really done that in that way before. And, but doing that made all the difference and it made me realize that I don't need to put in hours and hours and hours of practice. Sometimes it might just be like 15 minutes that I would do work on this intensive and I'm just going to fix this one thing. And so if just felt, I felt so efficacious. Um, and at the end I was really happy with my ability to really hone a choreography to my satisfaction. Ah, so cool to hear it. And uh, uh, yeah, it's definitely not a number of hours. It's, first of all, um, mindful training approach, like that we know what we're working on and that we are very conscious about the process itself. Then sometimes some things that can be fixed in just 15 minutes instead of like 
few hours of endless repetition and runs of the choreography. <laughs> yeah. That and was I unexpected realized... uh, that you picked exactly that one, but thanks. That's really, really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there anything that you are focusing right now in your training and in your personal growth? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I have to say it's a little bit difficult now, given the situation of the world um, pandemic. I don't know what's going to happen, but my dream, you know, before the pandemic had been to be, I have multiple dreams, to so be on the world circuit of festivals and teaching and performing. And so I'm really focusing on developing myself as an instructor choreographer and I'm fortunate to have a an invitation to teach at the Manifest Unity Festival next May in Petaluma, California by um, Kajira Shimana. So um, I, I'm teaching two workshops on classical, uh, dancing to classical um, Arabic music and veil, which is one of my specialties. So I'm really, really working hard on making really good classes and um, training with some of the teachers on how to teach so I can do a good job. And um, the other thing I was working on is I'm also starting to look into contracts in the Middle East, kind of explore that a little, little bit more. Um, I'm not sure where that'll end, but I was, you know, starting to look into that, starting to talk to some different people. Um, and also, I want to be doing something going forward. I want to be doing something a little bit more with um, race relations and racism and this dance and how this can um, play a role in um, my life. Because now that I've become aware of the impact of race on not just my life, but also especially my dance, my career. Um, so during you know the pandemic, I began to realize how much issue racism has affected my uh, profession as a, my job, my gigging. In fact, I've been passed off for, um, did not, rejected for many gigs because of me being Asian. Mm. Um, I've, when I do my makeup, I usually try to do my makeup in a way that makes me look Asian. Um, and it was difficult. And, but during the pandemic, what's interesting is that we started wearing masks when we performed and much of our faces were covered. And that's when I heard the most of, oh, we thought you were just an Arab girl. Oh, we, th we thought you were a Turkish girl. And it was both reaffirming, but also despairing because it's like, whoa, you know, if otherwise you would be so um, distracted by my face that you can't see past that in my dance. And that felt during that time felt very discouraging to me. But luckily, I had some very uh, supportive, wonderful um, people um, like Artemis Murat told me, yes, racism is very real in this country and you won't get some gigs because of how you look, but there'll also be gigs that you get because you of how you look and you just find your niche and you just keep at it and don't worry about the rest. And that's, I've come to a point where I'm able to do that and feel like I found my niche and I just want to one of the things I want to go do going forward is to be able to reach out to other dancers of color out there who are maybe afraid to go pro because of facing possibility of facing racism or they're struggling with, you know, race related barriers to their career and just say, hey, you know, 
I, I hear you. I'm, you know, I understand and I will support you and we, we can support each other. Ah, that's so inspiring and so cool and uh, very encouraging for many dancers and already even knowing sometimes or hearing that, oh, other people go through this, something that I'm either afraid to go through or I faced once and now I feel discouraging, but like seeing examples of people like you who keep going, who um, no matter what they are developing, they're believing in dreams and going after and knowing that they deserve it fully, no matter what rest of the world may say or not say, but that's very inspiring and very encouraging. Thank you for sharing this message. It's really, really cool. <laughs> Thank you so much, Yana. I really appreciate it. And I, the reason I'm able to hold this hope is because of all the amazing support systems I've had, the mentors, the teachers, my partner. And, um, and I want to be part of that support system for others as well and to pay it forward. Yes, that's definitely through dance we can connect and to support each other. And on this note, I also would like to ask um, one more question, which we briefly talked about. I think it would be really cool to summarize with it. But for you personally, how do you feel how ballet dance contributed to your life? How did it change your life? Wow. Oh, so many ways. Um, I think this dance really saved my life in so many ways. Saved my health. It helped me to, you know, overcome my eating disorder, develop modeling. It helped me to um, value myself, see value in myself, not just as a dancer, an artist, but as a human being. It helped me to connect with the world, um, made, helped me become a more um, open person, a world citizen. It helped me to become more in touch with my emotions, which allowed me to be supportive of others and in their emotions. Um, and I think overall, it's, it's become my life. It's in the, all the best ways. Mm. That's so cool. Thank you so much for sharing and uh, spending this time with us. Uh, um, and speak, being so open about your dance journey, your story and uh, your dance passion. <laughs> Thank you so much, Yana. This was so much fun. And I really appreciate this opportunity to tell my story. <laughs> and that's it for today guys but before you go away don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends and if you post it on social media please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who is listening to the podcast thanks for being with us and i'll see you next week same time same place